will or will not have in heaven, but I know we'll have voices, and I know we'll be able to sing to Jesus, and hearing those a cappella voices is certainly a blessing. Uh, I'm privileged to be able to continue the series that we have been looking at for the past several weeks entitled Counter Cultural. There is a stream of uh, direction in which this culture is going. There is a system of this world that if we're not careful, we will easily become carried away by it. And God's called us to go in a different direction. Now the Bible talks about the difference, Jesus himself talked about the difference between a narrow road and a broad road that leads to destruction. Uh, the broad road that leads to destruction is the cultural path. It is the path that is easy to walk. It is the natural course of life. But the path that Jesus has called us to walk is a different one. It is, it is said to be narrow. It is said to be hard. It's a hard road that leads to life. That's what Jesus said. I hope that as we have looked at this series, Countercultural, and as we've looked at different areas in which we have to be different, I hope that you've come to see just how difficult and how hard it is to have countercultural relationships, to deal with our finances and our money in a countercultural way, and all the different things that we've looked at over the past several weeks. If we choose to do this, if we choose to say, I'm going to live for Jesus, I'm going to walk with Jesus, I'm going to go against the grain, I'm going to swim upstream, it's just a matter of time before someone will disagree with it, someone won't like it, someone will criticize you for it. It is just a matter of time before you will face suffering and persecution because of your faith and because of the standards that God has given us in his word. And there's a lot of ways that we can respond to suffering. I mean, the truth is there. Well, there's really, all, there's really all different types of suffering, are there not? But there's, there's a lot of different ways that, that we can respond to suffering. How do you respond when something bad happens? How do you respond whenever you're mistreated? Maybe it's, oh, I'm a victim. I can't believe, you know, people are doing this to me. Or, or perhaps it's, well, I don't deserve this. I, I, deserve, I deserve better than this. You know, that sense of pride that I, I, deserve, I deserve something more. Or maybe you just have that that strong backbone, that real, you know, iron will, and whenever suffering happens in your life and difficulty comes, you're just like, Charlie Mike, we're just going to continue mission. We're going to soldier on. We're, gonna, we're just going to buck up, buttercup, and just keep right on going. And maybe some of you are the opposite. Maybe you, you get depressed, and you get sad. Oh, this is just horrible. This is just terrible. I guess there's all types of ways that we can respond to suffering. We can question God. You ever asked God, why? Why would you do this to me? Some people even reject God as a result of their suffering. I would hope that intertwined with all of these natural responses to suffering, that there would also be a spiritual response that we would have to God in the midst of suffering. And it's a specific type of suffering that I want to talk to you about this morning. I've already hinted about it. I want to talk to you about persecution, suffering for the name of Christ, suffering because we say, I'm going to be countercultural. 
Suffering because we make a decision that says, I'm going to choose to be different. I'm going to be an alien and a stranger in this world, just like the Bible says. Not the type of, re- I'm not talking this morning, I'm not talking about the regular type of suffering that we have in this life. We know that's going to happen to all of us. Everyone's going to have um, some kind of sickness. Everyone's going to face some type of death in this life, uh, some type of hardship. I'm not talking about that suffering today. And I'm not even talking about, and I want to be real clear about this, I'm not talking about the suffering that you face whenever you make bad decisions. How many of you know when you make bad decisions, you pay the consequences for those bad decisions? Not talking about that. I'm talking about the type of suffering where people mistreat you because of your Christian faith. You are mistreated, insulted, and other people bring suffering and persecution upon you because of your Christian faith or because of the standards that you try to live out in concern with your Christian faith. And it's just a matter of time. If you want to live counterculturally, it's just a matter of time before in some measure, even though it might be on a smaller scale than what we see in Scripture, there is going to be a measure of suffering and is going to be a measure of persecution. It can come at home. It can happen within your own family. It can be at work. It can even, it can even happen in churches where you are persecuted because of what you believe about the gospel and how you want to live it out. Here's a question. How are you going to react? How are you going to react when that happens? Because the scripture gives us some, some very specific instruction as to how we are to act and how we are to react whenever this happens. I'm going to be preaching today from 1 Peter chapter 4. That is one chapter off of your life group lesson. For those of you uh, who were in life group today, uh, you were looking at 1 Peter 3, I believe. Um, I, 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 I switched it up a little bit, kind of at the last minute. And uh, same, really the same theme, same book. Uh, just a few different verses uh, written by a guy named Peter. Y'all heard of Peter from Scripture, right? If there's anybody that was authoritative to write about suffering and persecution, Peter was him. So please stand with me. Um, uh, Open your copy of God's Word, and we're going to read 1 Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 12. Here's what Peter says about persecution. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because of the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a meddler Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the people of God? And if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God Entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing so. Pray with me. Lord, today there's no one that, 
there's no one that I know of that likes suffering. None of us, Lord. We don't look for it. We don't desire it. We don't want it. But God, you tell us, you command us in your word how we're to respond to it, specifically in the area of persecution. Lord, teach your people today. I, I just want them to understand your word clearly. Under the power of the Holy Spirit, I want them to be moved and affected by the word of God. Lord, would you do that today? Would you, uh, would you do a work in our midst? Uh, we invoke the name of Jesus in this prayer. In his name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Well, like I said earlier, if anyone's qualified to write about suffering and to write about persecution, uh, certainly it would be the apostles. If you've read the New Testament, you obviously know that Jesus suffered, that Jesus was persecuted. Jesus told the apostles to prepare themselves to be persecuted. And uh, by default, because we, it's now what he said to them is now in our copy of God's Word, and we read it every day, Jesus is really telling us to also prepare for persecution. I think it was, it's such a point of emphasis in Scripture that we see multiple apostles uh, write multiple books of the Bible, all telling Christians to prepare for persecution, to prepare to be mistreated whenever you make a decision that you're going to live for Christ. And um, uh, this, this passage of Scripture that we read in 1 Peter is no different. He basically, in so many words, says you will face a fiery trial. You will face a fiery trial. In verse 12, he says, uh, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. When I look at this and when I, when I, when I think about this fiery trial, it's not just a, not just a minor hiccup, not just a, a little bit of a problem, uh, not just a little taste of persecution, but a fiery trial. It kind of reminds me of a courtroom that has gone out of control, and now it is a lynch mob, and uh, there are accusations that would lead to the death of the person being accused that are being hurled around at random. And the noose has been made, and the rope has been slung over the tree, and you are the target. A fiery trial, um, a severe trial, a trial that scourges you with pain. Um, you know, when I think about the idea of wanting to live for Jesus and to say, I'm going to go against the grain, I'm going to live in a different way, I believe that there's one person in particular, one person in particular that, that, is, that is at the helm of the systems of this world that absolutely will hate you for it, and that is Satan himself. When you decide, I'm going to live for Jesus, Satan all of a sudden has in his mind, I'm going to throw fiery trials at that person, and, and the, the purpose of those trials, the scripture says, is to test you. And if you faced one of these fiery trials, if you've been persecuted, if your spiritual life has been hard and difficult at all, even if it hasn't involved persecution, if it's just been difficult, you will eventually find yourself asking the question, is this worth it? Is it worth it to go through all this trouble? I mean, it's so difficult trying to live for God. It's so difficult trying to be the husband or the wife that I need to be. It's so difficult trying to hold to the standards and relationships that God has called me to. It is so, so difficult to, to try not to lie, even those small lies, whenever I'm at work. It's so difficult. I mean, you fill in the blank. It's so difficult 
for us to actually do what the Bible tells us to do. It's a test when we face these fiery trials. And you may be tempted to ask the question, is it worth it? Yes, it is. It is absolutely worth it. The genuineness of your commitment to Jesus will be tested when you're persecuted. Now, I started thinking about this idea of, of persecution and this, this fiery trial. And I, I, think I, can, I think I can whittle it down really to one word that could describe persecution. And that's the word rejection. Rejection. And this is what we see in this scripture. The Bible basically says you will be rejected by others. In verses 13 and following, it talks about Christ's suffering. It says, insofar as you share in Christ's suffering, and talks about being insulted for the name of Christ, suffering as a Christian. In other words, it's like a, it's like a negative tagline that they would put upon you, the, the Christian you know, when, whenever we look at that, basically what's happening is however, however we experience persecution, whether it's verbally or physically or emotionally or by way of exclusion, it's all rejection. This is the response of the world to your desire to walk with Jesus. It is going to be a measure of rejection. And that's what persecution is. Rejection because of your faith in Jesus. Rejection because you've made a decision that you're going to walk with Christ. When you don't worship the world's idols, the world feels as if you are a threat to those idols. And you are a threat to those idols. Your very life is pointing people away from worshiping the false things of the world and to worship the exclusive Lord and creator of the universe. But this, this is what riles them up. Nobody likes for you to mess with their idol. No one likes their idol to be, to be threatened in any type of way. And when you live differently, when you don't bow down to their idols and worship their idols, they hate you for it. This is what they did with Christ. Christ was rejected more than any other person than we can possibly imagine. He was rejected by the religious leaders. He was, re he was rejected by the Roman leaders. He was rejected by an angry mob. If there's anyone that has ever faced a fiery trial, if anyone has ever faced rejection, certainly it was Jesus in everything that he went through. I don't know that we completely understand this level of persecution and rejection. Honestly, I think we have it easy here in the United States of America. Get on an airplane and fly over uh, and go to a church in communist China and talk to some of the brothers and sisters in China and see what they have to say about what it's like to live under a government that wants to stamp them out and under a religion that thinks that they are heretics and wants to get rid of them, where they can hardly walk up and down the street without their friends and neighbors excluding them and rejecting them. Those of you who've been on any of our mission trips to India, you've had an opportunity to talk to brothers and sisters in Christ, particularly in northern India, where there is so much rejection and so much persecution that comes from the government that comes from religious leaders, that comes from their friends and their neighbors. They get excluded. What if we were to go and talk to our brothers and sisters in North Korea and ask them what it's like to live 
under such a regime. I believe that there is no other group of Christians that has ever walked the earth in the past 2,000 years that has it easier than American Christians do. And there's a part of me that's thankful for that. There's a part of me that, that feels privileged to live in a place where I don't experience the type of persecution that Jesus did. I don't experience the type of persecution that the apostles did, at least not, not on the same level. But if we, if we go and we talk to some of these other Christians in other countries in this day, they are facing these type of things. I believe that we should prepare ourselves, though. I believe persecution is coming. I believe that we're at a point in time in our land where it's going to become harder and harder to embrace Christian ideals. It has become more and more difficult to actually walk according to Scripture. We may not, we may not experience severe persecution in our day, but I believe that our kids may. I believe that our grandkids certainly will live in a different country than we have been able to enjoy. I believe that persecution absolutely will come and we need to be ready for it. So what's going to be, what, what, what will be, what's going to be your reaction? What's going to be your reaction whenever you are hated, whenever you are abused, whenever you are mistreated? And some of you may have experienced a measure of this already. What's your reaction? Scripture is clear. Scripture is crystal clear, both by example as well as by command, how we are to react whenever we are tr treated unfairly, whenever we are mistreated. We are not to be outraged and get into this fight-back mentality. In chapter 4, verse 12, he says, Beloved, don't be surprised. Don't be shocked and outraged at this fiery trial, this persecution, this rejection when it comes upon you and when it tests you. Don't act like something strange is happening to you. And that's what we have a tendency to do. We, have, we would have a tendency to say, well, this is not right. Well, this is not fair. Oh, I can't believe this is happening to me. This is not how it should be. Can I tell you that what I just said to you is, uh, are natural responses to being treated unfairly and to be, being persecuted? Those are natural responses. They're not Christian responses. Christian responses to this must be counter-cultural. And shock and outrage is not what we see Jesus by example whenever he was persecuted, when an angry mob came at him, whenever he was put before a, a kangaroo court. He, was, he didn't experience this shock and this outrage and this defensiveness because the problem with this mentality is that it leads to a stand-up-and-fight mentality. You know, I can't think of anything more American than that, right? Stand up and fight. I'm going to load my gun, gather up your night vision, put on your tactical vest. I'm going to have my extra magazines. We're going to get all the boys together, and, man, we're going we're gonna to get after it. We're going we're gonna to fight back. That's, 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 that's pretty American, isn't it? It's pretty American, but it's, it's not very Christian. Some of you are like, whoa, <laughs> wait just a minute. You crossed, uh, you, you crossed the line. 
Look, I think Peter knows a little bit about this. I'm not saying that there are things that we shouldn't, uh, we, we, we shouldn't fight over and shouldn't defend ourselves over. But I want to I point to the experience of the person that is writing this. You know, I, let me tell you what. I could get so many amens out of y'all. If I, ca- if I came walking in here with a sermon and I said, Christians, it's time for us to stand up and fight. We don't need to put up with this anymore. We need to do just loud and proud what we believe in and not be pushed around anymore. Man, if I came in here with all that, I'd get, man, I'd get so many amens in almost every single church that I could go into and that I could find. But man, I come in here and say, hey, you know, we don't need to fight back. Crickets. Why is that? Why is that? Because what I'm telling you today is a counter-cultural response. We have been ingrained to say, I'm a victim and I'm going to fight back. You did me wrong and I'm not going to put up for it. I'm, I'm not going to put up with it. But let me, let me, let me, let me point out the, the, the documented experience of the Apostle Peter who wrote this. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21 through verse 23. Jesus was having a conversation with his disciples. He said, hey, I'm going to suffer a lot of things. And all these leaders, these political leaders, all these religious leaders, all these, uh, all these scribes, he said, I'm going to suffer many things. Those people, those people are going to cause me to suffer. Now, this is the perfect son of God. He has never done any thrall, anything wrong. He's never done anything unjust. And he's saying, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. And look what Peter said. Peter's like me and you. Man, I can just see him grabbing Jesus by the arm, pulling him over to the side and say, you have lost your mind. We're not going to let this happen. We got, we got some, we're all 12 of us, man, we're going to stand up for you. You have a following. Now, I'm ad-libbing a little bit. You have a following of all these people that like your preaching, and we're going to stand with you. We're never going to let this happen to you. We're going to stand up, and we're going to fight. Look what Jesus said. Far be, uh, he said, uh, he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. When Peter was ready to fight and ready to defend and say, no way are you going to be treated unjustly, no way are you going to suffer, he said, get behind me, Satan. Yeah, I don't get a lot of amens from that either. He said, you're a hindrance to me. He says, you're not setting your mind on the things of God. He said, you're setting your mind on the things of man. And that's a, that's a pretty harsh speech, isn't it? I mean, how would, how would you like to have the Son of God call you Satan? Ouch. I mean, that's a pretty hard rebuke. By the way, uh, it didn't take. Y'all remember what Peter did? Y'all, y'all remember what Peter did as recorded in John chapter 18? It says, then Simon Peter, they came to arrest him. These scribes, elders, Pharisees, they came to arrest him. Here's Peter. He's pulling out his AR-15 night vision. Man, he's ready. He pulls out a sword. There's some kind of sword play going on. I can just hear him saying, no way. I told Jesus I wasn't going to allow them to take him. I'm going I'm to, you know, and he, he chops, he, he swipes some guy in the head with a sword. 
obviously trying to make a kill shot. I mean, I don't know about you, but if you cut my ear off with this, that's he is a he is he has a deadly weapon. He's trying to he's trying to kill the guy. Cuts his ear off. What did Jesus say? Now put your sword down. And he reached up, and we have this recorded in um, um, in Luke chapter twenty-two. He reached his hand up, and he healed one of the people that came to arrest him and have him killed. He healed one of the people that were treating him unjustly. Folks, I want to encourage you to go. Um, I want to encourage you to go and buy a book called Fox Book of Martyrs. I want to encourage you to just do a Google search and study men like uh, Diedrich Bonhoeffer or William Tyndall or just all these different people that were persecuted because of their, uh, their faith. Um, religious leaders backed by government and sometimes government backed by religious leaders put a lot of these people to death. And you know what they did? They sung hymns and they prayed and they faced death with joy. By the way, we do see a different Peter in Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4. After Peter received the Holy Spirit, he went before these same religious leaders that had killed Jesus. He went before those, those same people because he had been preaching the gospel. And they said, don't do that anymore. Don't put this man's blood upon us. Don't preach Jesus anymore. And you could just see Peter. I, I, I don't see Peter reaching for a sword this time. In my, in, my, in my mind, in my imagination, I see Peter in a humble stance saying, we have to obey God rather than man. Do you know there's a difference between bold disobedience and defensiveness and aggressiveness? There's a difference between those two. And Peter shows us both. He shows us what a stand up and fight and go after and, 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 and enforce fairness kind of person looks like. And he also shows us what a person who is truly bold under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit does. And in Acts chapter 5, they, he, goes to preach, he goes preaching again and the apostles go preaching again. They, in Acts chapter 5, one chapter later, they bring them back before the council. And the council looks at them and they said, what's wrong with you? We told you, we strictly charged you not to preach anymore in the name of Jesus. And this time, this time they wanted to kill him. And there was a guy named Gamaliel who went up and, and he kind of intervened for them. And he said, look, a long time ago there was a rebellion. It didn't come to anything. He said, if this is of God, you won't be able to stop it. If it's not of God, all you have to do is just let it die. And so they kind of listened to him. And so they went back to the apostles and they said, no more preaching in the name of Jesus. And then they beat him up. They beat him up. We don't have any, we don't have any details about what that looked like, but it says they beat them. Let me ask you a question. How many times, when was the last time that a religious leader, um, a, a, a group of judges, uh, some police officers, and uh, maybe some government officials rounded you up for sharing the gospel and beat you in a courtroom? Anybody? Now, I'm not talking about when you committed a crime and decided to fight the police. We're not talking about that. I'm talking, you were out sharing the gospel. You were living out your faith. And you had the authorities, the government and religious authorities, gather you up, take you down to the courthouse, and beat you up. I, I, 
I dare say that I could ask that question in pretty much any church in America and have very little response to it. But look at this response. They left the presence of the council rejoicing. They were rejoicing because they were counted worthy. They saw it as a privilege of suffering for the name of Christ. Spiritual joy can accompany really any type of suffering, but especially persecution. You and I don't know anything about that, though. In preaching the whole counsel of God, though, we need to know it. We, we need to learn about it. We need to be ready for it. We need to prepare for it. We need to sympathize with our brothers and sisters in Christ who are being persecuted for preaching the gospel and living out their faith by their governments and by their religious authorities within their certain countries. It's happening right now all over the globe. And it may not be happening to us on this scale, but we still need to be aware that it could come to us and it is coming to other fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And in some measure, you probably are also experiencing it. And I believe that we need to pray that when that time comes, when you're persecuted, when you're mistreated for being who God has called you to be, or you're mistreated and criticized by others by saying, I'm going to have a countercultural relationship. I'm going I'm to do relationships the way that God has told me to do. When you say, I'm going to be honest in my work and not lie. When you start saying, I'm going to live morally in a way that God has called me to, you're going to be criticized. Teenagers, where are my teenagers? If you're a teenager, raise your hand. Don't be scared, teenagers. Raise your hand. You know what? You know what I'm talking about. You know, you know what I'm talking about. You know the temptations that are out there for people your age. You know the way that the culture in the world is just pulling at you and trying to get you to experiment with drugs and alcohol, trying to get you to, to do things on the weekends that you shouldn't be doing, trying to, trying to push you towards relationships that are not godly, trying to show you things on their cell phones that you have no business looking at. You know exactly what it is. You college students, y'all do too. You're old enough and strong enough now to defend yourselves a little bit better, but you know you're around it every day. And as adults, we're not immune to it either. There's going to be a measure of criticism that we're going to face. But Peter just wants that. What Peter's doing here is an example to us. Is he's just trying to live out the principles that Jesus gave in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 11 through 12, Jesus said, and this, this might very well be the first sermon that, Jesus, that Peter ever heard from Jesus. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets before you. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 to verse 44. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And why are we to do that? Why are we to pray for those who persecute us? So that we can be like God. He says, so that you may be sons of your Father is in heaven. You see, whenever God came and lived in this earth, lived on this earth in the flesh, he was persecuted and he was mistreated. And 
He prayed for those that crucified him. They, they put nails in his hand and feet. And what did he say? Prayed for them. He said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. If the Son of God can tell us, to, if, if the Son of God can do that, and he had every right, and he had all the power to fight back. If he can do that, and if he can tell us to do that, then certainly we should live at, by that example. You see, when we suffer with Christ, we find ourselves in fellowship with Christ. I can't wait to talk to Stephen whenever I get to heaven. Y'all remember Stephen, the first martyr? I mean, I'm looking forward to talking to all sorts of people, but Stephen, man, he had a vision. He was being persecuted. He was the first Christian that was killed for his faith. He had a vision in that moment of persecution. He saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. The Bible says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. But, but, uh, but Stephen saw him standing at the right hand of God. To our knowledge, he'd never seen anything like that before. He had, his faith had never been so real to his eyes as in that moment of fellowship with Christ while he was being persecuted. I believe that God had purpose in all of these sufferings and all these persecutions, and I believe that he does in ours as well. The Bible tells us that we're to have faith in God. We're to have faith in God. Um, and, and Peter says this in verses 17 to verses 18. He talks about this suffering, this persecution that is according to God's will. Y'all, I know that's hard to hear. I know that's not exciting. I know that it's, I, I know that for, for me to put scriptures like that on the screen and for me to preach truths like this doesn't make it all touchy feely and fun and exciting. I, it's, but it's just, it's the whole council. It's the whole counsel of God. We don't like to think about this being God's will, but, I mean, which gives you more comfort? To know that God is in control of it or to believe that God has no control of it and has nothing to do with it? I would much rather know that God has control of everything that happens and there is some suffering, even some persecution that I might face in this life that are according to his will. You see, hardship of any kind should not damage your faith. It should strengthen your faith. You know what's really interesting to me? Is the people that have the strongest testimony of God's goodness are people that have experienced some of the most severe pain and suffering this life has to offer. Isn't that interesting to me? You find a Christian, you find a believer that loves the Lord, that has suffered immensely in this life, both regular suffering, suffering of making bad decisions, and suffering through persecution. Find a believer in Christ that has experienced all those things in increasing measure, and ask them a question. Say, tell me about God's goodness. And you will see their face light up. And you will see joy come across their countenance. And they will say, my God is so good. My God has carried me through so much. And that's the spiritual joy. That's the faith that God has called us to. All right, I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer in just a moment. And I'm going to ask you uh, just to call on Jesus if, if you feel led to do that. Um, do you know that the first suffering that you have to experience is not a suffering of persecution, but is a suffering of death to self. Friend, if you don't like suffering, if you don't like sacrifice, if you don't like hardship, Christianity is not for you. There are churches out there that preach that. There are churches out there that will pass out candy. 
so to speak, every single Sunday. There are churches out there that will give you a health and wealth gospel. There are churches out there that will give you just your, your, your weekly pick-me-up. But listen, unless you are ready and prepared to face hardship, unless you are ready prepared for it to be difficult, unless you are ready to die to self, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus, unless that happens, you might be ready for a happy brand of religion, but you are not ready for true biblical Christianity. It's hard. It's difficult. This is the witness of Scripture. And it is hard right out the gate. Whenever you pray a prayer to receive Christ, you must turn over complete and absolute control of your life to Him. You have to say, I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to die to self. I'm going to take up my cross. I'm going to follow Him. Maybe that needs to be the prayer that you pray today. If it is, I hope that you will call on Jesus. And if you have arrived at that point today, if you've arrived at that point to where you're, you're willing to say, I'm ready to give it all to Christ. I'm ready to sacrifice everything and give it all over. The only reason you have gotten to that point is because the Holy Spirit has done a work in your life. He's done a work in your heart. No one would be a Christian or attempt to be a Christian in this world unless they were empowered by the Spirit of God. This is how it changed for Peter. Going from that guy ready to draw his sword and fight to that guy that said, I'm going to be bold, but I'm also going to be kind, and I'm going to consider it a joy to be persecuted for Christ. If that's the prayer that you need to pray today, in just a moment, we're going to bow our heads and we're going to pray. I hope that you'll pray it. Uh, for the rest of you, I'm going to ask you to pray a different prayer. I'm going to ask you to ask God to prepare you for the difficulty that's going to come whenever you make that decision, I'm going to live for Jesus in this area of my life. I'm going to have the relationships that I need. I'm going to live the morals that I need. I'm going to be the boss that I need to be. I'm going to be the employee that I need to be, the husband or wife I need to be, the child that I need. I'm going to, I'm going to be the person that God's called me to be. If, 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 if you've, you've made that commitment, you are going to face hardship with it. It is going to be difficult. I want you to pray and ask the Lord to prepare you for it. Say, Lord, I know this is going to be difficult. Please prepare me for it. Say, God, I am putting myself in the line of fire. I'm making myself a target of Satan. God, please be with me and prepare me. Pray a prayer such as that. So let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes and let's pray. And then Andy is going to lead us in a song.